Good morning. Welcome to Fellowship of Huntsville on this wonderful day right after Thanksgiving. And um, hope you had a wonderful time with family, eating plenty of turkey. I think I'm going to go home and eat some more leftovers after this. We will find it because there's too much. And um, anyway, we've been blessed. We have a, a great opportunity to continue to be thankful for all that God's given us. As we move into this Christmas season, we get to what's most important about this year and our celebrations, which is the birth of Christ, and to focus in on that as a family and to continue to encourage one another. Uh, if you are visiting with us this morning, we'd love to welcome you and get some information from you. Uh, there's a connection card underneath the seat in front of you. If you would fill that out, either pen or pencil, drop it in the box in the back. You could do it electronically as well. If you have any prayer requests, want to know anything about the ministries of this church, to be involved, to get involved, you can also write that on the card, and um, we'd love to hear from you. If you would, turn to John chapter 1, CF's going over the book of John. John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13, he's going to continue on here, uh, just really get into detail about Christ, the Word, what John is communicating, what the Lord is communicating through him to us. If you would, go to John chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. But as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in his name, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you. I thank you for your clarity and uh, your word. And Lord, I pray that your spirit will move in us, speaking through CF, speaking through your word. And Lord, I pray that we will respond, seek after you, be a light in this world. And Lord, I pray that we will seek after your truth to know you more and more every day. I just say this in your name. Amen. Good morning, everybody. You have your Bible with you open to the passage that he read. If you're visiting with us, we're going through a study of the Gospel of John. We're on verses 12 and 13. I read uh, what well, we did verse 12 last week. And so this week we're doing verse 13, which is part two of a two-part message called the Children of God. And as we looked last week, we saw that Christ was rejected in verses 9 through 11. And in verse 12, we had a contrast there. It was the word, but as many as received him, to them he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name. And so we see that he's rejected, but he's also received. And the ones that received him were granted the right to become children of God. That becoming a child of God is something that is granted by God. It is, it is also something received, and then a person is in that relationship with Him. And so we're going to take a look this morning at the Godward side of that, and what doesn't bring a person into the family of God. And so hopefully we'll understand that. Uh, today. So let's go to the Lord in prayer and then we'll take a look at it, okay? Father God, we come before you this morning and we thank you, Lord, for all that you've done, for your goodness toward us, your many blessings in our life. 
Thank you for this Thanksgiving that we just celebrated for our families, for the resources you have provided, for the many blessings we've had this past year. And we're grateful to you for that. And we ask the Lord that you would let us continue to walk with a heart of gratitude and thanksgiving toward you because you alone are worthy. And we thank you for everything. And we pray this in Christ's name, Lord. Amen. As we began this morning, we're going to focus on, as I said, verse 13. It says, who were born, not of blood, nor the will of flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. And as we begin there, we look at the word who. Okay, so we're talking about a specific group of people. And the who refers back to verse 12 as those who received him. The ones that he gave the right to become children of God and those who believed in his name. Just three descriptive phrases that let us know who the who is. And he says the who that are mentioned there were born. All right. The word born is, is a compound word in the scriptures there. He's going to put it up on the screen for you. That's the word right there. Ganao means to be born or to be offspring or to bring forth. It's a combination of two words. The first one is genos, which means offspring. The second word that's combined there is genomai, to become. So you would say to become offspring. All right. To become offspring. That's what to be born means. Most of the time that the word born is used in scripture, it is denoting physical birth. Okay? That's the most common usage. If you go through the New Testament, it's the most common usage. As a matter of fact, the synoptic gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, only use it in the physical sense. All right? So it's talking about physical birth, that a person is physically born into the world. So if you will, look with me at Matthew chapter 2. We'll go to the second chapter of Matthew and look at verse 1. Matthew chapter 2, verse 1, speaking of the birth of Christ. And it says, now after Jesus was born, that's the word right there. In Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men came from the east, or wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. Okay? Now you're going to see that verse a lot in the coming month because it is a verse that is used in relationship to Christmas because we celebrate the birth of Christ. He was born. Word is also used uh, over in the uh, in, uh, First chapter where it talks about verse two, Abraham begot Isaac, Isaac begot Jacob. Derivative of that word is used there. It just simply means they were born. They were physically born into the world. Look at Matthew chapter 19. Matthew chapter 19, verse 12. We see it used in relationship when Jesus is describing eunuchs. And in verse 12, he says, there are eunuchs which were born thus from their mother's womb. And a eunuch was a, was a neutered male, castrated male. It says, there were eunuchs who were born from their mother's womb, 
There were eunuchs who were made eunuchs by men, and there are eunuchs who have made themselves eunuchs. For the kingdom of heaven's sake, he who is able to accept it, let him accept it. But that very first verse there, part of that verse says, for there are eunuchs who were born. That's the word right there. It means to be birthed. Matthew chapter 26 and verse 24. Matthew 26, 24. Matthew 26, 24 says, The Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. It would have been good for that man if he had not been born. So it's talking physical birth, all right, coming in the world. Uh, Paul uses the same word in the book of Acts, in Acts 22, verse 3. Acts 22, verse 3. Paul says, I am indeed a Jew born in Tarsus of Cilicia, but brought up in this city at the feet of Gamaliel, taught according to the strictness of our father's law and was zealous toward God as you all are today. But Paul said, I was born in Tarsus. That was his home of birth, his record of birth was in that city. And so the most common usage of the word, it means to bring forth biological life is what it means. So go back to the passage in John. He says, but as many as received him to them, he gave the right to become children of God to those who believe in his name who were born. Now, he's not talking about physical birth right here. He's talking about, what was that? He's, water bottle. He was talking about spiritual birth. So he's using born in a figurative sense. And what he is speaking of, now he's going to go in great detail when you get in chapter three, he's going to tell Nicodemus, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom of heaven. So this birth that he's talking about, this being born, is a spiritual birth that takes place in a person's life. Just like you are physically born into the world and you become a part of the human family, you are spiritually born into the family of God or you are spiritually born to become a child of God. A lot of people in our society today view being born in this world as you automatically are in some kind of a relationship eternally with God. And that's not the case simply because you're born. I remember before I got saved, I had a guy ask me, he said, are you a Christian? And I said, well, of course I am. I live in Texas, have a shotgun. And uh, I said, what do you think I am, a heathen or something? I had no concept of what that meant to be born into the family of God or to be a Christian. You were born into that relationship with God, birth into that relationship. And so then he's going to say, these people were born, but he's going to tell you what they were not born of. He said, they did not get this birth by blood, nor by the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Okay, so let's look at these three here. He begins, first of all, with blood. And much like born, the most common use for blood in the Bible speaks of the red fluid that's in your body. That's the most common usage of it, okay? But it is also used in a sense of 
heritage, okay? And it is particularly in this case because this word blood is plural. It's not singular. It's plural. So he's talking about bloods, meaning a family. Let me tell you something else unique, man. When you go back and look at that first part where he says, who were born, that word born is in the perfect tense, okay? So what that means, the perfect tense means you have a point in time that something occurs and the effects of it go on forever, go on for eternity. So when a person is born into the family of God, it is eternal. It never stops. So that's a very strong passage for someone to argue on eternal security or the security of the believer. Because when you're born into God's family, you never are out of that relationship. You are forever a child of God. So it's, it's, it's perfect tense. It continues on and on and on. There was a time I was born into the family of God, June of 84. I was born into God's family and that relationship continued. Have I lived it as a son every day? Have I lived in a manner and a way to glorify God, to honor God in everything I say and everything that I do? Heavens no. Heavens no. I'm in need of the grace of God every day. Amen. I'm in need of the, of the forgiveness of God in my life every day. And so is everyone that is born into the family of God. Birthed into the family of God speaks of my position with God. Okay, it's carried out in my condition because I'm in relationship with him. I've received him. I'm in relationship with him. But but there was a time that I was born into that relationship, but it was not a blood. And so this reference to blood here means that there is uh, no spiritual heredity in the kingdom of God, meaning that if your mother or father we're Christians, that does not mean that you're a Christian. You're not, you're not brought into that relationship because of what someone else does. Let's look at some passages of Scripture. Go to John chapter 8. John chapter 8. Now, what we're going to look at here is, he's speaking on this blood part to the great extent he's speaking of the Jewish people. Because the Jewish people believe that because they were sons of Abraham... Because they were born of Abraham, they were automatically in relationship with God. But see, a relationship with God has always been by faith. It's never been any other way. They were God's chosen people in the sense that God set Israel apart for his own special purposes, he said, to show a peculiar and a unique people. That does not mean that all of Israel were believers. Many of them in there were unbelievers. But there was, group, there was a group in there that were believers, those that walked by faith, those that believed God, that, that sort of a thing. So look here in John 8 and look, if you will, um, verse 30, John 8 and 30. And he spoke these words. As he spoke these words, many believed in him. Then Jesus said of those Jews who believed him. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth, and the truth will make you free. And they answered him, We are Abraham's descendants and have never been in bondage to anyone. How can you say you will make us free? Well, 
folks, if you know the history of Israel, they were in bondage almost their whole life. And to a great extent, they were in bondage to sin. Okay. I mean, all you got to do is go look at how many times they went into captivity. They, they were very much in bondage. They very much were, were slaves and were not free. Look over at Matthew, the eighth chapter. Go back to Matthew chapter eight. And we'll see another reference to it there. Matthew 8 and uh, uh, look at verse 10. Matthew 8 and 10. Matthew 8, 10. When Jesus heard it, he marveled and said to those who followed, Assuredly, I say to you, I've not found such great faith, not even in Israel. And I say to you, that many will come from the east and west and sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom of heaven. But the sons of the kingdom will be cast out into the outer darkness. There will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. And Jesus said to the centurion, go on your way. And as you have believed, so let it be done for you. And his servant was healed that same hour. When he talks about many coming from the east and the west, he's talking about people outside of the Jewish people. That's what he's talking about. He's talking about many more will be coming to faith. Many more will be coming into relationship with God. Go to the Gospel of Luke and let's look at how he uses it there. The Gospel of Luke and go to Luke chapter 3. Luke chapter 3. And uh, verse 7, Luke 3 and 7. And then he said to the multitudes, this is John the Baptist speaking, and he said to the multitudes that came to be baptized by him, brood of vipers, who wanted you to flee from the wrath? Who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Therefore bear fruits worthy of repentance. And do not begin to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I say to you that God is able to raise up children of Abraham even from these stones. So see, they thought they had a special lot in relationship. We don't need this repentance. We don't need what you're talking about, John. We're sons of Abraham. We've been born into this thing. We're already part of the family. John says, no, you're not. Luke 13. Luke 13, and if you would look there at verse 22, somewhat lengthy passage, but we're going to read through it. And he went through the cities and villages, teaching and journeying towards Jerusalem. Then one said to him, Lord, are there few who are saved? And he said to them, strive to enter through the narrow gate. For many, I say to you, will seek to enter and will not be able. When once the master of the house has risen up and shut the door, and you begin to stand outside and knock at the door saying, Lord, Lord, open for us. And he will answer and say to you, I do not know you. Where are you from? Then you will begin to say, we ate and drank in your presence and you taught in our streets. But he will say, I tell you, I do not know you where you're, you're from. Depart from me, all you workers of iniquity. And there will be weeping 
and gnashing of teeth when you see Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, and yourselves thrust out. See, you don't get in because of your lineage. You don't get in because of your heritage. You've got to come through the narrow gate. Amen. You've got to come through the restricted means of access. And what is that? Through the person of Jesus Christ. That is the only way you enter. The gate of faith. Okay? He says, they will come from the east and the west and from the north and the south and sit down in the kingdom of God. East, west, north, and south, that's a reference to Gentiles, the nations outside of Israel. And indeed, the, uh, in, and indeed, there are last who will be first and there are first who will be last. Okay, in other words, the ones that you thought would be in there, they get in at the tail end. The ones that you never thought, the Gentiles, some of them are going to be first. They're going to be brought in first because of their relationship. They're birthed into that relationship. Paul even made reference to this in Philippians 3. Philippians chapter 3, Paul made reference to it. He gives his lineage in the third chapter. If you'll look there, he says, verse 1, Philippians 3, 1. Finally, my brethren, he's speaking to believers at the church at Philippi. Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. For me to write the same things to you is not tedious, but for you it is safe. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the mutilation. For we are the circumcision who worship God in the spirit, rejoice in Christ Jesus, and have no confidence in the flesh. In other words, not by our lineage, it's not by our physical circumcision, it's by our circumcision in Christ, whereby the deadness of our heart has been cut away. We are there by spiritual relationship. Though I also might have confidence in the flesh, if anyone else thinks he may have confidence in the flesh, I'm more so. And look at his lineage. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, Concerning the law, a Pharisee. Concerning zeal, persecuting the church. Concerning the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were counted to me, these I have counted lost for Christ. But indeed, I also count all things lost for the excellence of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having my righteousness, which is from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which is from God by faith. Those who believed in his name. See, he was born not because of his blood relationship, not because he was a Hebrew of the Hebrews, not because he was a Pharisee concerning the law, not any of that stuff. He said, it's because I believed on Jesus Christ. It was by faith in Christ that I was brought in. Galatians 3. Go back to your left from Philippians. Galatians 3. And I want you to look at uh, verse 26. Galatians 3 and 26. 
for you are all sons of God through faith in Jesus Christ. That's just what we've been reading. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. See, the true seed, singular, is those that walk by faith. Seeds would be plural and it would mean the descendants of Abraham, the physical descendants. But seed being singular speaks of those that are of faith. And that's been the, ever since Genesis 3.15, the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. Not seeds, not the descendants of the woman, not the descendants of the serpent, but those who are of faith, those who belong in that special group, the seed, singular, all the way through. So it's not by blood relationship. You, you're not born into it. You don't inherit it. And there are a lot of people today that believe that their salvation is built upon what somebody else has done. I do a lot of talking to people about that subject. And a lot of people will tell you, well, my grandfather, and it's amazing how many people's grandfathers were preachers, but they'll sit there and say, my grandfather was a preacher. And therefore, if that ain't good enough, then I don't know what is. I had a guy one time on a year and a half ago on death row, unbeliever, and uh I was sharing a gospel with him last hour he was there. I had shared the gospel with him for years. And I was sharing it with him there at the end. I said, look, bud, I said, this thing is about to come to a conclusion. Uh, you need to get your house in order. And so I started talking to him about it. Went through the whole gospel presentation with him straight up. He looked me dead in the eyes and he said, my grandfather was a preacher. And he said, if that ain't good enough, I don't want nothing to do with it. If, if I can't get credit for that, I want nothing to do with it. And I told him, I said, Bud, I said, I watched my granddad eat a hamburger one time. And I said, I didn't get full at all. I was still hungry. <laughs> I said, I have to eat that hamburger. And your grandfather had faith in Christ, most likely. I said, you have to have faith in Christ. You have to appropriate the gift of God. As many as received him. To them he gave the right to become children of God. It's a by faith action is what it is. So it's not of blood. You're not going to be born into the family of God because of your heritage. You're born into the family of God by God through faith is what the scripture teaches. It's very, very clear. This passage is a very clear presentation of what it takes to become a child of God. I've used this passage of scripture numerous times on sharing the gospel with someone to lay it down because it shoots out all the different arguments that people may throw up. And Paul knew what those arguments were. He's in, he's, I mean, John knew, John is a Jew. He's a part of that culture. He knows what those people are saying. John the Baptist knew what they were saying. We are sons of Abraham. We're descendants of Abraham. We're in. The Gentiles are out. We are the children of God. No, you're not. You become children of God 
by the right of God once you receive Christ. He makes it very clear in the previous verse. So he says, these people were born. They were given spiritual life, not because of blood. Then he says, not by the will of the flesh. Your flesh doesn't will you in there. All right. The word there for flesh, John uses is, is the word sark, S-A-R-X. And it refers to the physical nature of man. It's where our sin resides, our fleshly desires, okay? And so you can't get into a relationship with God through the will of your flesh. Why? Because your flesh is diametrically opposed to God. Your flesh is your enemy. Your flesh is not your friend. Go to John, uh, Romans chapter 8. If you look at Romans chapter 8 of your Bible, and Paul in this chapter is contrasting the flesh with the spirit over and over and over again. That's what he's doing. And so he speaks of it beginning in uh, verse 5. Let's start with 5. The focus verse is 7. So if you're just keeping the key verse, put 8, 7. But I'm going to begin in 5. He says, For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For to be carnally minded is death, but to be spiritually minded is life and peace. Now, he's talking here about living your life. You're either living for the flesh, or you're living in the Spirit. Okay? And then he goes on and he says in verse 7, Why is this so? Because... The carnal mind, the fleshly mind, is enmity against God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor can be. So man is opposed to God. His flesh is opposed to God. So you're not born into the family of God by heritage. You're not born by the flesh. And then he goes on in that same passage and he says, nor the will of man. He said, it's not your human will that puts you in that relationship with God. That has nothing to do with it. Not your personal resolve. It's not your good life. It's not your religious duty. It's not your spiritual goals. It's not human determination. It is birth is what it is. It is birth. You are born into that family. And many people believe in the will of man, whether it's individual will or whether it's will of someone else. For example, I was baptized as a baby and some person said, I'm into the kingdom of God. Okay. I was confirmed as a believer. It's the will of man. You're in there by the will of God. You're in there by the blood of Christ. You're in there by faith in Christ. That's how you're born in there. Not by human will. The human will just like the flesh is opposed to God. Look at Romans chapter 3. Just turn back to chapter 3 and look at verse 9. Now let me give you a little background here. Romans 3 comes on the hills of Romans 1 and 2. And that is not a deep thought. That is a factual statement. Romans 1 deals with Gentile guilt. Why are Gentiles separated from God? Romans 2 deals with the religious Jew. And Paul builds this argument. The Gentiles know who God is, but they don't believe in him. 
Okay, they don't receive him. They suppress the knowledge of the presence of God, the reality of God. They see him through creation and they deny that, okay? The Jew, on the other hand, has the law, has the covenants, has the promises, and they think they're in, but they aren't in either unless they have believed on Jesus. So he talks about the Gentile, chapter 1. He talks about the Jew, the religious Jew, chapter 2. And chapter 3 is his conclusion. He comes to a conclusion of it all. And so he says this. Um, look, look at verse 1 of chapter 3. Look, get a little background. What advantage then has the Jew? Or what is the profit of circumcision? Much in every way, chiefly because to them were committed the oracles of God. In other words, they had an advantage. They were exposed to the things of God, whereas the Gentile wasn't. The Gentile didn't have a clue. He wasn't given anything. The Jew, on the other hand, you, were, you heard about God all the time. You went to the temple, you went through the sacrificial system, all this stuff. You were constantly exposed to it. And then we come to chapter 3, verse 5. And he says, but if our unrighteousness demonstrates the righteousness of God, what shall we say? Is God unjust who inflicts wrath? I speak as a man. Certainly not. For then how will God judge the world? Verse 9. What then? Here's his conclusion. What then? Are we better than they? And we being the Jews. Are Jews better than the Gentile? Not at all. For we have previously charged both Jews and Greeks that they are under sin. So see, Jew and Greek is under sin. Greek is a reference to Gentile. As it is written, there is none righteous. No, not one. There is none who understands. There is none who seeks after God. They have all gone out of the way. They have together become unprofitable. There is none who does good, no, not one. And yet most people will argue till they're blue in the face that they have done good. I've, I've done what God said. And I love those that will say, I've kept the commandments. I've kept the Ten Commandments. And I said, really? They said, you've never coveted? You've never wanted something that was not yours? No, I don't done that. I ain't never killed no one. And I ain't never committed adultery. And I said, oh, but you have. I said, you've committed adultery because you've had desires for a woman that was not your wife. I said, you've killed people because you've been angry at them and you desire to do that. And they'll, and they'll lie and they'll say, no, I'm better than that. And I said, well, then you just lied. <laughs> so I said, you violated a command there. But it's hard to convince people that there is no human good in relationship to God. There's plenty of human good in relationship to man. I know a lot of good people. I mean, good people that are not believers, but they are as good and as charitable and as kind and merciful of people as you'd want to meet. But they do not have a relationship with God. It's not human goodness. It's not the will of man. It's not me putting myself into God's family. And so verse 13 says, their throat is an open tomb and with their tongues they have practiced deceit. The poison of asps is under their lips, whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. 
Destruction and misery are in their ways and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. So we see there that man, what we refer to here is that man is dead to the things of God. So he can't will himself into that relationship. And so we look at our text, it says, who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man. And then we have another contrast. It says, but of God. So you are not brought into relationship because of heritage, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but God brought you into a relationship with him. God is the author and finisher of our salvation. And God brings us into relationship with him because salvation is a gift from God. Look, if you will, in John 4. And we'll see Jesus makes direct reference to this. John chapter 4 and verse 10. This is Jesus speaking to the woman at the well. It says, Jesus, verse 10, John 4, 10. Jesus answered and said to her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. See, it's something that is given. And living water there is a reference to what? Eternal life. Okay? Eternal life. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with. And the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? All right? Because a well was not viewed as being living water. It was viewed as being dead water. Okay, living water came from a stream is where it came from. Living water is moving water in the Bible. Okay? And so she asked again, she said, Are you greater than our father Jacob who made this well and drank from it himself as well as his sons and his livestock? You imagine asking Jesus that? All Jesus had to say is, I made the water. <laughs> yeah, they drank it, but I made it. It's all because of me. Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, meaning the water in the well. You drink this, it's going to quench your thirst, but you're eventually going to get thirsty again. But, your contrast, whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him, will never thirst, but the water that I shall give him will become in him a fountain of water springing up into everlasting life. So he says, if you drink, that's a picture of faith, if you believe, then what? You're going to have eternal water. You're going to have eternal life, is what he's saying. He equates drinking with faith. He equates eternal or living water that never gets thirsty again with eternal life. So he says, you have to do that here. Something to note. Note what the woman says there. He says in verse 11, Sir, you have nothing to draw with. Look over at John chapter 6. And you, see, you will see the Godward side of salvation. The same word is used here in relationship to God drawing us. Look at verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up the last day. It's the same word there. 
God has to draw you to himself. You're not going to come on your own. God is going to draw you. He's going to bring you to himself. Okay. Verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The flesh profits nothing. The words that I speak to you are spirit and they are life. Verse 65. Therefore, I've said to you, no one can come to me unless it has been granted to him by my father. Go back to John chapter one. John chapter one. But as many as received him. OK. Those that are in a relationship with him to them, he gave a right to become children of God. And how do you receive him? By believing in his name. Who were born not of blood, nor the will of the flesh, nor the will of man, but of God. It is God who imparts life to man. It is God who brings salvation to man. God is the author and finisher of our salvation. Jonah, way back there in the Old Testament, what did he say? Salvation is of the Lord. All right. It, it, that is who we worship. That is who we glorify. It is God who, who births us into his family. It is God who brings us into a relationship with him. And we receive Christ. We receive him. We believe in his name. We're birthed into the family of God. It is a spiritual birth that takes place. What is that spiritual birth? It is God bringing your human spirit alive. Your spirit is dead in relationship to God. Does not mean your spirit does not exist. It simply means that your spirit does not relate to the things of God. You've got to be circumcised by Christ. He cuts away that deadness and your heart can be united with him. You can be brought into a saving relationship. Your human spirit brought alive and God's spirit comes to reside within you. Amen. It is a birth relationship. We're going to see it in great detail when we get to John 3. He comes to Nicodemus, who's a religious leader. And he says, Nicodemus, you cannot see the kingdom of God except you be born again. You've got to be born into this relationship. It is not inherited. It does not come through you. It comes from God. It is a divine relationship of God. And so our salvation rests with God. Just the very word born, a point in time, and it continues on forever. Boy, that ought to bring joy to your heart. That ought to bring contentment to your life because you're brought into a saving relationship with him. He is the author and finisher of our faith. He is the one that we look to. And so this little preview here, we're going to look next week at the incarnation of Christ. But this little preview shows Christ came into the world and what happened? People rejected him. They wanted nothing to do with him. They, they weren't, he wasn't popular with them. And all through the Gospel of John, all the way through chapter uh, 12, what's going to happen? Rejection, rejection, rejection. You'll see little spotlights that pop up of people trusted in him. And then what's he do after 13? He begins training his disciples to go out and spread the word. But when he came, he was rejected. So if you're here today and you have received him and you've been born in his family, rejoice with God. If you're here this morning and you think that because your family were Christians or they were good people or you've done certain good deeds in your life, 
Understand what the scripture says very clearly. You cannot come into God's family by what you do. You've got to be born into God's family. You have to receive Christ. You have to believe in his name. Okay? So it's not inherited. It's not built upon your works, the will of man, the will of the flesh. It's not what you do. It's what God does on your behalf. And what did God do on your behalf? Christ came and died as a sinless sin bearer on that cross and bore your sin, was a substitute for your sin, died and was raised again. And you believe on him, you'll have eternal life. Christ is your only hope this morning. He is your only hope for eternity. For there is salvation in none other save the person of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father God, we thank you. We thank you for your gift of salvation. We thank you for eternal life that is found in the person of Christ. Father, as a believer, my prayer is that I would live out that life for you. My prayer on behalf of other believers is that they would live out that life for you. My prayer for those here this morning that do not know you is that they would drink of the water that you offer. That they would look to you for salvation. That they would believe that Jesus Christ died for their sin, was buried and raised again. And that they would embrace him by believing in him. And Father, I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.